0: This is the PFT PM podcast, and now your host, Mike Florio.
1: April twenty-five, one day before the draft. This is a free-form PFT PM podcast. I have no specific agenda other than to play an interview for you coming up, Minka Fitzpatrick, and answer your questions. Usually, I have some thoughts fleshed out in advance. Today, I didn't have a chance to do it, so what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about the draft. The draft. Hey, how about the draft? Gee, what can we talk about? The draft. I got a mock draft, and let me explain to you how the mock draft was created. And before I do that, I'm going to go back to the early days of profootballtalk.com. Back in those days, the mock draft, and more accurately, the mock drafts, were one of the centerpiece items of our coverage of the NFL from February until April. There weren't nearly as many media outlets. There weren't nearly as many so-called draft experts. Now, you can just call yourself a draft expert, and you're a draft expert. You can get a Twitter handle that calls you a draft expert, and lo and behold, you're a draft expert. I don't know how many draft experts there really are. True, actual, bona fide draft experts. At some point, though, I realized that the amount of time that it takes to truly be a draft expert in comparison to what you get out of all that time, for me, it ain't worth it, because the time that you spend truly becoming a draft expert, studying film of the players, talking to people in the league about this player, that player, that player, the other player, talking to college coaches talking to people in the NFL who play the game who may know that guy, to truly do it right, you got to put a ton of time into it. A ton of time. And I respect the people who truly put in a ton of time. I don't know how many there are that fit that description. Regardless, it's not worth it for what I do. Because we're covering everything that happens in the NFL. We're covering everything that you may be interested in as a fan of the NFL. And as I said yesterday... What I am interested in is what I hope you will be interested in. That's been my guiding principle from day one. So as time goes by, and everyone has a mock draft, and not just one, but 2.0, 3.0, 5.6, you get to a point where you say, it's all just noise. It's all just clutter. It's like brackets for the NCAA tournament. Everybody's got one. Let's see who guesses right the most. And the other problem is, every subsequent pick hinges on the pick before it. And one surprise, one trade, one move that we're not looking for, that blows the whole thing up. So, after years of making the draft process, the mock draft, version 1, version 2, version 5.6 a big part of what we do. I eventually decided enough, enough, enough. Someone's rising up the board. Someone's falling. You know what happens? You know what that means when someone's rising? That means the people who cover the NFL are finally catching up to and catching up with what the scouts really think. No one rises or falls this late in the process. It's the people are finally starting to get to the truth. Oh, he's rising up the draft board. No, he's not the media's finally gotten its head out of its ass as to what the teams think about this guy. So in recent years, we've done one mock draft and I do it reluctantly. Here's why I do it. And I said this yesterday, it could be written by the hand of God and people would say it's the worst mock draft they've ever seen. Now, look, I pride myself on having a thick skin, but sometimes you just... When you know it's coming and you're walking right into it. Like, why take a punch that you know you're walking right into? Criticize me for something I don't expect to be criticized for. I know what's going to happen. And I could put 10 minutes or 10 weeks into a mock draft, and the reaction's going to be the same worst mock draft ever. Oh, this is a piece of shit. Oh, you really, oh, they're never going to pick this team. And you just get numb to it after a while, but you also get sick of it. Why do you keep walking back into that that blanket party? So what we do now, I've got people that I trust. Specifically, there's one person in particular who I trust, who has access to multiple other people who I trust as well. And these are people who know the inside of how things work. These are people who are on the inside. Now, as I said yesterday, if I said the name of the primary person who gives input, you'd be like, holy shit, I should pay attention to this. This mock draft is more valuable than the other mock drafts out there. But I can't, obviously. And we're not going to play a guessing game. (laughs) This is not the latest edition of the PFTPM. Hey, keep guessing and we'll eventually maybe get lucky, and hit the right person. But that's why I'm inclined to do it. Part of me says no matter what the draft consists of, no matter how the names are configured, it's going to be derided and criticized. And the other part of me is like, damn, this is good. This is access. This is real. This is a mock draft crafted by, ultimately, people who know exactly what goes on, how prospects are rated, what teams think of them. I put it out to a vote on the PFT Twitter page. I I called upon the PFT PM posse to answer the question. The problem is there's no way to ensure it's only the PFT PM posse. 62% yes, 38% no, as to whether I should publish it or kill it. Terry Gensler. Says, as an original PFT PM policy member, I agree. Mock drafts are useless. How many times did your favorite team actually draft someone who they mocked to take? As an Eagles fan, I can say it's very rare. Let others do mocks. PFT is better than that. Hashtag life is rated R. Boy, that's a persuasive case. Recliner QB, I agree. 100% mock drafts are useless. However, since Florio got his anonymous draft badasses to help, maybe we should indulge. I bet it'll spark interesting conversation, and I bet we can get him ranked on the huddle report. I don't care about the huddle report. They send me emails to submit my mock draft. I deliberately hold it past the point where it can be part of the huddle report. Terry Gensler, hey, a tease like that, week of, let's see it, a mock draft, the day before it happens, I'm okay with. I'm probably going to do it. Some have said kill it. Some have said keep it. Seven rounds with trades. I hate factoring trades in. I hate it because it's impossible to know what trades are going to happen. There's always someone sitting on a possible trade that we don't expect, and that trade happens. (laughs) One guy says, I voted and I'm not a member. That's at wad 52 PFTM posse chimes in. Why don't you join then? Join the fast-growing and ever more powerful movement we welcome all. We don't welcome all. There's one person in particular who is not welcome. We know who that is. His name, Rob statz Guerrero. All right, so... Let me give you a little, let me give you a little tease as to who the number one pick in this mock draft is going to be. And this is a mock draft that has been finalized as of today. The draft of the mock draft that I saw earlier this week that I said, look, I'm holding this until Tuesday and it's now Wednesday because I really debated, do I really want to do this? And I procrastinated last night. It's like, God, I don't want to do this. Right now, the number one pick, and this is it, this is final, because I had a long conversation with the person who curated this, and I said, why did this change? And I'm satisfied with the answer as why number one changed. Number one to the Browns was Josh Allen. Number one to the Browns is in the official only PFT live profootballtalk.com PFTPM mock draft Baker Mayfield. Now, does that mean I say it's going to be Baker? Am I reporting it's going to be Baker? Am I suggesting it's going to be Baker? Well, I guess I kind of am because I put him as number one in the mock draft, but the mock draft says Baker Mayfield. And it makes sense to me. I'm not the one who made this call. And it's funny because as of yesterday, it was Josh Allen And maybe that's why I resisted, because the last thing I was going to do, once the bird flew, the bird was flying. And I'm thinking yesterday, you know what? I can understand how you come to the conclusion that it should be Baker Mayfield, because there is no clear separation between Mayfield, Allen, and Darnold. Everyone's got strengths. Everyone's got weaknesses. I kept coming back to the comments from John Dorsey when he was on PFT Live during the league meetings in Orlando, I mentioned those yesterday. I have since tracked those down and transcribed them. I was sitting right there, but we did so many interviews during that two or three day period. It's impossible to remember every single thing that was said. Here's what he said. I love Tyrod Taylor coming out of college. I always did. I thought there was a dynamic set about him, not only his athleticism and his ability to extend a play, but he had, as Coach Frank Beamer would always say, he's one of the best leaders I've ever been around. He's got enough arm talent with accuracy to get the ball downfield, and he doesn't turn the ball over. And that's Mayfield. If you're worried about protecting the football, Darnold had a ton of turnovers. He's got the smaller hands. You've got accuracy issues with Josh Allen, and the windows are only going to get smaller at the next level. With Baker Mayfield last year, his accuracy was off the charts. 70% completion percentage, 4,600 passing yards. He averaged 11.5 yards per attempt, 43 touchdowns, six interceptions. The question is, will this short guy quarterback be as effective as the other great short guy quarterbacks, specifically Russell Wilson and Drew Brees? And for the Browns, you're taking the risk. But there's such a drive there with Baker Mayfield. And there's such a track record of overcoming obstacles and overachieving. Walked on at Texas Tech. Basically, he was shamed into walking on at Texas Tech by his dad. Because his dad said to him, look, you've got a couple of scholarships, but you don't want to go to those schools. You want to go to Texas Tech. So he walked on, and he made it, and he started week one. And then he transferred to Oklahoma, and he started there right out of the gates. So this is a combination of athleticism, leadership, moxie, and this is what the Browns need. They need a guy who's going to come in and proudly wear that Brown helmet and proudly carry that franchise to places it's never been before and proudly do everything that no quarterback in the history of that franchise has done. And when I say that franchise, I mean the one that entered the NFL in 1999. I know that they still have the record in the names and all that, but that team is the Baltimore Ravens. I don't care that the Browns have always been the Browns and the Browns are the Browns. Now, the Browns from whenever they were founded originally until 1996 are the Baltimore Ravens. There's a new expansion franchise that became the Browns in 1999, and that team has been essentially an expansion franchise for all of its existence, except for one year when it made the playoffs, and another year when it was 10 and six, but failed to make the playoffs. Here's the other factor. If Jimmy Haslam was all over Johnny Manziel, and he was, he's going to feel the same way about Baker Mayfield. So if you're John Dorsey, and I think this factor gets overlooked by the draft experts because they want to make it only about football. But ultimately, it's about the people who own the teams. Think about that. You own a business. Who ultimately is making the decisions about the future of your business? you going to let someone else do it? Well, I hired this guy. I'm going to let him make the decision. Well, yeah, you'd like to make the decision. And I'm a firm believer in hiring people you trust and getting out of the way. But sometimes the decisions are big enough that you got to chime in. And when you're talking about what is inherently a crapshoot, I was so struck by the comments of John Schneider, the Seahawks GM, about why they are scouting quarterbacks this year and why they may start drafting quarterbacks. He talked about 2005 when he was in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers was sliding and the Packers were scrambling to finish their evaluation of Rodgers because they never expected him to be available. And they took him. They rolled the dice and they took him. And what happened? He becomes one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. You know, every year there's going to be a guy who's the best quarterback out of a class. What's he going to become? Rarely do you have a transcendent talent. And to get that transcendent talent, you got to be willing to roll the dice. Josh Allen checks certain boxes, Sam Darnold checks certain boxes, Baker Mayfield checks plenty of boxes on his own. One of those three guys, or maybe none, will check the franchise quarterback box, and I can see why the Browns will come to the conclusion that it's Baker Mayfield. So we'll see. We'll find out Thursday night, and you'll find out later Wednesday the full 32 picks in the PFT PFT Live, PFT PM, PFT PM Posse, Mock Draft. But we begin the process with Baker Mayfield. The next step will surprise you. That's a tease. That's a tease. Minka Fitzpatrick may or may not be one of the guys taken in the top few picks. I had a chance to speak to him earlier today, thanks to our friends at Head & Shoulders. Here's my conversation with Minka Fitzpatrick. As the saying goes, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Making the right first impression is easy with Head & Shoulders. And thanks to Head & Shoulders, a guy making a first impression on a lot of people as his time in the NFL approaches. He is former Alabama defensive back Minka Fitzpatrick here on the program. Minka, how are you, pal?
2: I'm good. How you doing? Thank you for having
1: me. Hey, I appreciate your time. I know it's a busy week. How much are you looking forward to this process after months of preparation and work and visits and everything that goes into it finally being over?
2: Um, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, it's, been a, it's been a fun and exciting journey. Uh, it has been tough uh, mentally and physically, but... Uh, it's been uh, it's been a whole lot of fun. and been exciting, but like you said, I'm just ready to to know where I'm gonna be playing at, where uh, where I'm gonna be living for the next couple of years, and just ready to uh, finish up this process. You
1: know, recently I saw that your coach at Alabama, Nick Saban, suggested that you definitely should be a top five pick in this year's draft. How do you react when you hear that kind of faith expressed by the man who coached you at Alabama?
2: Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of uh, you say it's, it's true an honor that there's somebody like that, uh his standards of his uh his status, uh kinda gives me that uh, that title for somebody that should be drafted in the top five because he's a great coach, he's seen a lot of great players come through the system and he's played against a lot of great players. So um just knowing that he thinks of me uh in that in that high of a standard is uh really awesome. What was the best thing about playing for a guy like Nick Saban? My, I would say every single day I was learning something new. Uh, I was being challenged every single day, so uh, at the end of the day, uh, I knew I was becoming better. Uh there's never a day where I just wasn't better when I was uh, underneath the coach Um So, you know, just, just, like, just like I said, just the constant challenge, the constant push, and uh, the constant exchange of, of knowledge was, uh, was awesome.
1: And he praised you last August for having an attitude where you bring it every single day not just game day but every single day you bring your absolute best why was that approach important to you at the college level
2: Um, because a lot of people say they're going to turn it on in the game but you know this this is impossible you can't you can't uh, you can't not practice the right way and then play a certain way um, just if you do, it's not going to last real long And once you play against somebody that's great um, it's, it's not going to work um, And also, I just played against a lot of great players in practice So I always had to be on my A game And, uh, you know, when you're in the A game It kind of pushes everybody else around you Challenge them to uh, go beat you to the ball you Challenge them just to try and beat you uh, In their route or whatever it is That they're doing And um, when they're doing that, you're just getting everybody better And um, this is how I am I'm not going to do something i give not give 110% of effort uh, I think that's just mature or not not to not to give you hundred percent because when you let yourself down and you let your team down. So
1: when you bring that A game to the next level, what's the number one thing you do best?
2: Um, I'll just say my job. <laughs> you know, it's uh it's simple, but you know a lot of people just don't do their job. Uh you know, whether it be at corner, or at safety, or at nickel. Uh, I always just did my job and that's what kinda just separated. That's what allowed me to to move around because Coach Saban trusted me just to do my job. Uh, he trusted that I was going to be in the right spot and I was going to make plays uh, when, when the time was needed. So um, i just said, just that, just doing my job.
1: G- give me an idea of something that you're working on to improve that you know when you get to the next level and everyone's bigger and everyone's faster and it's going to be more difficult. It's an area of your game, a specific area of your game, where you believe you need to get better.
2: Oh... Um, I would say uh, one of the specific area that I'm working on right now. Uh, I can say uh, maybe I discipline on, on on things that are in front of me. Uh, sometimes I like, on uh, shorter routes, I kind of get my eyes in the backfield uh, for uh, first the second, and it kind of allows the receiver to uh, get away from you if he makes another move. Um, I'm just working on that. That's something I talked to a lot of NFL coaches. Uh, I always ask them what's one thing that you think I can improve on. And uh, a couple of them said, uh, they showed me clips first of me just with my eyes in the the backfield, and looking at the right thing. And uh, it doesn't happen often, but they said it's just something that I could uh, improve on for sure.
1: One of the things Nick Saban praised you for, Minka, is balancing intensity and competitive fire with having a good time, being loose, having fun. What do you do to get away from football and unwind?
2: Um, I just say just just hanging out and relaxing. Uh, whether that be just sitting on the couch reading a book, or whether that be um just hanging out with some friends having fun. Whether be, we would do silly stuff. Man, uh, when I was back in, in Tuscaloosa, we had like Nerf wars. We would uh, play some like crazy games just all around town. Uh, man, all that fun, stuff, just to kind of get your mind up again, because you know what it is, I am, I all day I'm working real hard, and I'm focused on, on football, and, and uh, just the business side of this, so uh, usually at night I just do something fun just to kind of relax my mind and just be at peace.
1: Who's giving you the best advice, Minka, as you get ready for this
2: journey? Oh, oh man, that's hard. I mean, I've been talking to a whole bunch of different people, uh, especially a lot of the Bama guys who are in the league now, just because... Um, just 'cause that connection. I'm never Bama. They've been through, what I've been through. So I just always just try to pick their mind. Usually whenever I meet somebody, I know I'm just asking them questions, asking them about uh, what the what their um, what was the hardest uh, the hardest uh, transition from NFL or college to NFL. I don't know. I'm just always trying to pick their brain. But I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint one person that gave me uh, the best move hey, of my life.
1: One thing I've heard former Alabama players say when they get to the NFL, that practice there isn't nearly as difficult as practice was at Alabama. Have you heard that from them?
2: Yeah, i definitely heard that before. I think just about everybody has said that. I mean, some teams say that uh, their practices are pretty hard, but I don't think anybody said that it's as hard as the practices at Alabama.
1: But doesn't that give you even more confidence going to the NFL that, that you know that no one else who has been with any other program is going to be in a better position to make that adjustment because you've been through it as difficult as it can be, as challenging as it can be, so it's going to be an easier step to the next level?
2: Yeah, I know it does give me a little bit more of a confidence or a little bit of a, a positive mindset going in because, like you said, there's not a lot of people that, that did what we did at Alabama or um, had to the resume that we have when coming out of Alabama. So, um, you know, it's uh, definitely a positive thing that we worked as hard as we did and practiced as hard as we did because that kind of puts us a step ahead of everybody else. There's going to be a lot of guys in the green room tomorrow night at the draft. At
1: what point does your confidence start to maybe waver a little? How many picks go by before you start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, this should have happened by now. When's that phone going to ring?
2: I would say anywhere. Anywhere between about 4 to 15, that's where I'm, I'm being told where I should be going, uh, anywhere from in there.
1: Well, before the draft tomorrow night, I know you're doing some stuff with Head and Shoulders. Tell us what you have going on with them.
2: Um, They're just getting us ready for tomorrow. They're uh, just grooming us up a little bit. They're getting us right. Uh, I just got uh, a little pedicure done. And, uh, I was going to go on my second time doing that, but it was, uh, it was good. It felt good. they are going to give us some stuff to bring home and uh, wash up with and, and clean up with it tonight so that tomorrow will be nice and fresh and I don't have to worry about getting our hair done or nothing like that. So so it's been fun for sure.
1: Well, hey, Mick, it's been fun to watch your career. We look forward to seeing what you do at the next level and first and foremost, where you end up being picked on Thursday night. All the best going forward. We hope to talk to you again in the
2: future. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that.
1: All right, thanks again to Minka Fitzpatrick. We had a couple of others that were set this week that for a variety of reasons we weren't able to do. Saquon Barkley, he was supposed to be live on PFT Live Tuesday, and we had to postpone because his girlfriend was in labor. And we we didn't want to say anything about that until it was announced that the baby was born and everything's fine. And the baby was born and everything's fine, but that's why we didn't have him. We're going to try to get him again. We, We also are Continuing to work on Baker Mayfield, maybe the fact that we made him the number one pick in the PFT PFT Live PFT PM PFT PM Posse mock draft will help. Who knows? During the Minka Fitzpatrick interview, which I didn't listen to because all I had to do was pause and they'll fill it in. So, but during that three seconds that I paused, I thought, should I go ahead and disclose what the next step is in the PFT Live mock draft? But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that one. We, we may talk about it tomorrow, but check out the PFT, PFT Live, PFT PM, PFT PM Posse Mock Draft. I want as much ownership as possible to dilute my, my responsibility for it, but uh, you may like it, you may hate it, either way, it will be posted at some point before midnight Wednesday night. Let's say before 8 p.m. it'll be posted. All right, let's answer some of your questions. Let's find the questions before we answer the questions. I went with Lego Batman today. I mean, we're trying to get the Lego sponsorship. I do the Lego sets with my son from time to time, although we haven't worked on the Ghostbusters Firehouse in a while. Need to get back on that. That was the Bat signal for today. Anything Batman related, Bat signal, Lego Batman, Adam West, Danny DeVito, anything Batman related is the signal that it's time to ask your questions. PFTP on Posse. So Jerry and Roger are just rolling on that gravy train with biscuit wheels together now all of a sudden. We know that this is just an act for the media and the fans. So where do you think their relationship goes from here, both personal and professional? I, I think that once you have anyone make a run at someone else's job, which is essentially what Jerry Jones did, there is a permanent fracture that never fully repairs itself. Maybe at some point there's a chance for Jones to redeem himself, maybe if he performs the Heimlich maneuver on Roger because he's choking on a piece of steak or something like that. Barring some sort of Saul on the road to Damascus epiphany, though, I don't think Roger Goodell's opinion of Jerry Jones is ever going to change. And if Roger sees that Jerry's going to grovel for the rest of the time that he owns the Cowboys, then... let him grovel. At PFTPM posse with CBA negotiations upcoming in the draft tomorrow, do you think there will be any significant changes to the rookie wage scale or other aspects related to the draft rookies, et cetera? No, no, I don't. Although I think it was a mistake to put a rookie wage scale in place because what it does, it affects veteran pay because it eliminates situations where a great player taken at the top of the draft can force his way to market early and set the bar high for a given position. And Dominican Sioux was the last one who was able to do that because when the time came for him to be franchise tagged, the Lions couldn't afford to do it because his cap number the last year of his rookie contract was so high that when you gave him the 20% raise that's required under the CBA for the franchise tag, you know it's either a set number or it's a 20% increase over your cap number for the last year of your contract, the Lions just couldn't do it. Plenty of players over the years who have become great players have used that to push the bar higher and higher, and that helps other players fill it underneath. But I don't see the rookie wage scale changing. I think it continues as it is. I think anything that will change that requires a concession from the players, it's going to be something that is more immediate, that benefits players before they give up anything of value to them that they could look at and say, well, that doesn't help us. That helps the rookies. And I think the impact for all other players is, is too attenuated to really get players behind the idea of changing the rookie wage scale or changing the draft. Although I saw someone suggest this yesterday. I like the idea of a two-tiered draft lottery where the non-playoff teams have a lottery with no weighted entries, a straight lottery of the teams that don't make it to the playoffs and a straight lottery of the teams that do. That's the divining point where once you make it to the playoffs, you're not going to tank to get 24 instead of 30. And non-playoff teams, you're, you're trying to get to the playoffs. Once you're a non-playoff team, that's when the temptation to tank arises. So I'd love to see that be the future of the draft, and maybe one of these days there will be a tanking scandal that leads to a gambling scandal. Maybe it's gambling that will shine a light on tanking that will force the NFL to get rid of the temptation to tank. I don't see that happening anytime soon, though. PFTPM posses, can we get Sims baked before he comes on PFTPM? Do, do we assume he's not baked when he's on... PFT Live. I guess we could get him baked to be on the PFT PM Posse. I'll take that one under advisement. Usually when someone says, I'll take something under advisement, it means I'm never going to do it. But I literally will take that one under advisement. Ryan Tompkins, too. What happened between you and Stephen A. Smith? It's been a couple of years, but I think it happened in connection with the Tom Brady deflate gate. Was that it? Or was it something else? He was being manipulated by someone at the league office. And I committed the cardinal sin of speculating as to who someone's source is. And I I called him out, and he called me out. And on his radio show, he went on and on. And we have some drops that we use on PFT Live of... Stephen A. Smith giving me the business. Would you please break a damn story? And he said some other things. And and when he was with Fox Sports Radio, this was a good six, seven years ago. I can remember when I first started going to NBC on Sunday nights. On Monday mornings, I, I remember being on his radio show on Fox Sports Radio. It really hasn't been all that long that, Stephen A. Smith has been this major talking head at ESPN. It was five, six years ago where he was at Fox Sports Radio and, 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 you know, he found that niche on first take and it took off and good for him. Good for him. Although, you know, I may disagree with some of his methods. I may disagree with the authenticity of some of his takes, but, you know, he's done well for himself. Here we go. I think I found it. I think I found it. Oh, it was criticism of D. Smith. That's what it was. This was June of 2016. This was a year after Deflategate. It's not his job to be in court all the damn time. It's his job to ingratiate himself with the commissioner and the NFL in a fashion that speaks to a relationship that's taking place so the coffers, the financial coffers of the players is not being compromised. See, this was a criticism of... Demora Smith, the NFLPA executive director, articulated by Stephen A. Smith, and I believe that was fed to him by people at the league office who didn't like the fact that the NFLPA was fighting the NFL and winning. At the time, the NFLPA was having success as it relates to efforts to push back against the things the NFL wanted to do, specifically as it relates to Tom Brady. And it was not practical, and it is not practical to take the position that you shouldn't fight. Fighting in court is one of the things that you do to shape the specific contours and specific edges of that relationship, because the NFL is always going to look to push harder than it's entitled to do so. So I called him out for that, and he called me out. We had quotes from his appearance on Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio. We played a lot of it. We invited him to join the show. He declined. I think he declined multiple times, which means we asked multiple times. And we it went back and forth. So that was it. You know, it, it's it's a shame that you completely trash a relationship and you don't remember why you trashed it. But, oh well. Not, not that I expected to have a relationship with the guy. I didn't expect to have a friendship with the guy. I wasn't looking to have a friendship with the guy. I'm just looking to be honest with my audience, and if it pisses people off along the way, so be it. I remember him saying that that we shouldn't, as colleagues, you shouldn't talk about, like, like that was his argument. I'm not, I'm not qualified or authorized to comment on the things he says. That's for the very small niche of people who report on the media. If you're a reporter on the NFL, focus on the NFL. Don't say anything about other reporters. I, I think that's highly unrealistic, and it's a way to avoid fair criticism. And he mentioned that we're colleagues. We're only colleagues if we work at ESPN. All right. That isn't a very good story? It, You know, the, the quotes were funny. The drops are good. The background isn't that good. At On Tour Forever, why would someone smoke out or be nearby where others are smoking the lettuce on the eve of the biggest job interview of your life. Hashtag pass on 420. This is the player who admits that he smoked in advance of the combine, but he didn't have a positive drug test. He had a dilute sample, which shows an effort to deceive. Not that I have a problem with it. I don't think the NFL should care, but let me tell you, if you know a drug test is coming, you're either stupid or you have a problem. And you have to choose football over smoking. And that's why it's relevant. It's not relevant on moralistic grounds. The NFL continues to have a policy. And you have to be able to stay out of the drug testing program. You have to, at at some point on the calendar, choose football over marijuana. And for now, if you're not in the program, it's the middle of March until the middle of April when the window opens. It opens on 420. We went through that last week. You have to choose football over marijuana then. Afterwards, smoke them if you got them. And for the players coming into the NFL, you got to take that month before the combine. You know, the test is going to be administered or you should know your agent should tell you another reason to have an agent. I think guys that don't have agents may be clueless as to the importance of avoiding marijuana up to a month before the combine. But if you can't, then you can't later. That's what makes it relevant. It's not that teams say, well, well harumph, harumph. He shouldn't be smoking the hippie lettuce. It's we can't waste a draft pick on a guy that won't choose football over marijuana when he needs to. We can't trust that guy with our money, and we can't trust our jobs to a guy who can't make it to the football field. At Reverend Markworth, I know why you think the draft is un-American, but if you ask your priest, he didn't have a say in what parish he was placed in. I didn't get to pick the church I was sent to. There are jobs where you are placed and you don't get to pick like the NFL. Is Reverend Markworth a Roman Catholic priest I have a different view of Reverend Markworth. We usually call them father. We don't call him reverend regardless. Look. You go to work for a company. Reverend Markworth has gone to work for God and Son Incorporated. And when you do that, when you specifically choose a a corporate entity under that same umbrella because you've got all the different denominations. But you know, when you sign up, this is the way it works. Go to Walmart. You're working at Walmart. They move you around any company. I remember when I worked at Chevron, I was working at Chevron when I was in college in a co-op program. And at some point I had to ask myself, is this where I really want to start my career? And as you're working there, I was working in the materials laboratory at the Richmond, California refinery. You see that people would get assigned to the various refinery sites This was a metallurgical engineering facility that would analyze the metal that would fail out in the field, in different refineries, in different places. There would be some sort of an incident. There'd be a break in the lines, an explosion, whatever. They would cut the affected metal. They'd send it to us and we would study. It was kind of like CSI shit. It was like, why did this fail? And there were different ways that you could tell what happened based upon taking the metal and making it ready to be examined via a high-powered microscope. And you could actually look at the metal and see the manner in which the grains of the metal came apart and other ways to try to get to the bottom of this. And that was part of what they did there. But this guy gets transferred to Lake Charles, Louisiana. This guy gets transferred to Pascagoula, Mississippi. This guy gets transferred here. This guy gets transferred there. It's part of what you sign up for. It's a company that has operations all over the world. There's a chance that you're going to get transferred. And for the people that they groom to be successful, I think this is part of the way that they set the hook of loyalty. You end up putting the company above everything, right? This is my career. This is my company. And I go where the opportunity is. And I understand the track to high-level management and the way to become a high-level manager is to go wherever they want me to go. The NFL is 32 separate businesses. The NFL is Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, Target, right? The NFL isn't one business. Now, I think the one thing that they would have done differently back in the early 20s is made it a single entity. And any football league that gets founded now is a single entity. If it was a single entity, then... I wouldn't have a problem with the draft. It's 32 different businesses. The draft is an inherent, antitrust trust, violation. It is un-American because there are 32 different companies operating under one shield, but 32 different companies, and you go to that company against your will and against your judgment and against whatever you would like to do. You get drafted. Now, of course, you can be traded, Right? That's part of the way the industry works. You get traded from Walmart to Target? No. You get traded from the Giants to the Jets? Yes. But that's my issue with the draft. If it's 32 different companies, and it is, that was that American needle case that was handled by the U.S. Supreme Court just like within a year or so before the lockout, and that was regarded as such a significant case from the player's perspective because it took away the NFL's argument that it is one integrated business. That can be exempt from all antitrust laws and basically operate as Walmart with 32 stores. This isn't Walmart with 32 stores. This is 32 different companies. And one of them is Walmart. That's why. Recliner QB, gotta say, I like Josh Rosen's response to not being able to choose his destination. He and that's right, you know, that was my wheelhouse. He said the NFL pays us enough that I'll go anywhere. And you know, I thought he'd be the one guy who says, Yeah, I should be allowed to pick my destination. He went against what I thought he would say. I did like that answer. Recliner QB, has the relationship between a player and a team ever been ruined because the player found out the team was ripping him during the draft process, especially if the team drafted him? I don't know of that ever happening. That and and I know that the dynamic is real. If a team loves a player and wants that player to fall into range where they can draft him, they will spread negative opinions to people in the media under the cloak of anonymity. They will do it. I don't know that it's ever gotten back to the player, hey, you know, that team that drafted you was shitting on you for the last three months. They love you so much, they said horrible things about you, so you'd be available when they pick. I'm not aware of that ever happening. Recliner QB, the way that Belichick constantly preaches do your job and being accountable, how much does Bill refusing to do his job putting the best players on the field and or doing whatever is needed to win affect the player's view of him? Hey, great question, and that is part of the problem right now with the Patriots. When I wrote on Sunday that the Patriots expect Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski to play this year, And I explained the issues that still linger for Gronk, it's his contract, and for Brady and Gronk, and for a lot of the players, it's this lack of an explanation regarding that which may be inexplicable, the Malcolm Butler benching. And I had someone call me, and that person said, I was going to tell you that exact same thing. I've been thinking about the best way to raise this, but here's what's happening. Players are pissed because the impression is that Belichick deviated from everything he teaches and he did something other than what's in the best interest of the team. That he was trying to send a message to Malcolm Butler, that he didn't want to let Butler showcase himself and make huge money. He didn't want to be in a position where he had to franchise tag him. That it was about something other than winning the game. And that is what pissed off a lot of these guys. And that's the thing that Belichick is going to have to get over. I think we were talking about this earlier today either on the hour, the radio hour of PFT Live or on the TV side, that Malcolm Butler is at the heart of two Super Bowl controversies that linger possibly for years beyond when they happen. He intercepted the pass thrown in Super Bowl 49 that threw the Seahawks into disarray. And you could argue they are still in disarray as long as there's still a handful of guys who were on that team that don't like that call to pass instead of run, it's going to be an issue. And now you're going to have guys in New England until they cycle these guys out. There's going to be guys who are like, what the hell? We should have another Super Bowl ring. Until all the guys who can say we should have another Super Bowl ring are gone, that feeling is going to hover. That feeling is going to linger. And we'll see how Belichick deals with it. It's one of his biggest challenges, I think, for 2018. Recliner QB, I've been reading daily since my sophomore, junior year of college, 2003-ish. I've loved it all, even the, the one-issue run of PFT, the magazine, trying to find my copy. How did you get involved with this originally way back in the pro football writers, ESPN days, first sources, etc.? Yeah, I, look, I, I think I've told the story before. Let me just give you the thumbnail sketch. I was minding my own business back in 2000, practicing law on my own, which laid the foundation. I've told this one recently. It laid the foundation for me to get into something else. Saw a call for writers made by NFLtalk.com, a website I had tripped across while reading USA Today at the local Subway eating lunch mid-April of 2000. Chris Jenkins wrote the article. And at that point, I never went far beyond the AOL options that they gave to you when you logged on to AOL. And this was five years into the life cycle of the Internet. I just never would go to NFL.com, ESPN.com, because there was a sporting news portal as part of the AOL service back when you paid for AOL. And that would be a way to read up on the NFL. So I discovered NFLtalk.com and they were funny. They were irreverent. They were different. And I developed a habit of checking it all the time. And it was a day in early June of 2000 when they were putting out a call for writers. I threw something together. One thing leads to another. They hire me and hire me. I've said this before. They didn't pay me, but I enjoyed it. It was a hobby. I did it. And that led to more and more free work. I enjoyed it. It grew. When the dot-com bubble burst early 2001 and they sold NFLtalk.com and its related sites to ESPN, one thing led to another. I got hired by ESPN to do a morning rumor mill Thing. I still don't think they knew at the time. I was practicing law on a full time basis. There was a guy who ran interference. I think he's still with ESPN, Chad Ford. He's one of the guys that came over from the sports talk entities to do basketball. He was kind of the liaison. And I think it was don't ask, don't tell about Florio having another job that he would go to at about 10 A.M. every day once he finished his sports talk duties. I did that or whatever it was. It was ESPN Insider's NFL rumor mill. I did that for six months. I still have the contract in the closet in my office where I had to decide, sign a one-year deal to continue doing what I was doing or do something else. This was not long after 9-11. It caused everyone to take a serious look at what they're doing with their lives. I was working way too hard. I didn't enjoy the lack of immediacy to the audience because it had to go through layers of editors and they would change things. And the light flickered in October of 2001 while I was deciding to do what I was going to do what am I going to do with this contract from ESPN? I said, screw it. $500 and 50 bucks a month later, PFT was born. And it was just a gradual process. That's why I'm doing this PFTPM podcast. It reminds me of 2001, 2002, 2003, when I was putting in effort and I wasn't getting paid, but something was growing. I sensed that something was growing. And based upon the reaction lately, the PFTPM posse, I feel like something's growing. Sometimes things take fire quickly. Some take some take a time to grow, and uh, we'll see where this grows. One more from Recliner QB. PFT Live, I wondered if Gronk was ballsy enough to ask Bill Belichick about benching Butler in the Super Bowl. Why wouldn't Gronk or any other star player ask for an explanation? I just don't know that Gronk is is able to articulate it. You know, you're sitting across from a, a menacing Bill Belichick, and Gronk's kind of like a big old sheepdog, and I just don't know that. He could find the comfort level to say, so, hey, Bill, what the hell happened with Malcolm? I just think he'd be intimidated by Belichick, too intimidated to ask that question, because he'd be concerned that Belichick would say none of your damn business. Black 88 Elite predicts two and a half trades in the first round of the draft. Am I going over or under? I'll take the over. I'll take the over. What the hell? Doesn't Barstool Big Cat say life's too short to bet the under? The Impact 99, ever want to host something like BattleBots or Ninja Warrior? No. Have I had the chance? No. Haven't had the chance, and I don't have any interest in doing that. I, that That's random. I like doing what I do. Charger 2443, Mike, would you say a draft need for the Chargers is someone who can fill up stadiums? If so, would Josh Rosen and LAB in the discussion for them? I, I think Lamar Jackson. You may see Lamar Jackson going to the Chargers in the PFT PFT Live PFT PM, PFT, PM, Posse mock draft. Because they need star players. You do. So that's a good question. Faisal Morale, what would it take for the Seahawks to draft one of the quarterbacks they have been looking at? Who is it most likely to be? Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph, et cetera. I, look, the Seahawks are drafting higher than they usually do. I don't know that they'd take a guy in round one. They still have Russell Wilson. This is more about taking a guy that you develop and maybe you flip. Like the Patriots did with... Ryan Mallet, Jimmy Garoppolo, you develop a guy, he serves as the backup, he's there in the event the starter gets injured, he provides a little fire, a little extra motivation, keep the starter from getting complacent, and then you flip him at the appropriate time. So I don't think they're thinking about any of the top guys. Gears of Ted, will Stats ever post the podcast from a while back that he never posted? He, he did. Did he never post that? Let's just say that he never posted it. At Steph D, what's the most dangerous or adrenaline pumping thing you've ever done? The most dangerous thing I've ever done. The fact that I'm not thinking of anything tells me I've never done anything all that dangerous. The most dangerous thing. I remember like when I was younger and I'd go out and run when it was really hot and I would, it would be 88, 90 degrees and I'd go run six miles and I would run hard and I'd be afraid I was going to like keel over from heat stroke. I remember fearing, like, is this the day that I pass out and tumble into the road and get run over by a car? And I didn't care. That's the mindset when you're 21. You think you're going to live forever. You think you're always going to be able to do the things that you do. And I remember being that age saying, screw it. It's 90 degrees. I love it. Let me go. I'll go sweat out 10 pounds. I, I remember that I'd run so hard on those hot days that, like, you, there'd be a really strong smell of ammonia. That probably wasn't a good sign. I would really smell ammonia strong and I would have like, like salt stains all over my arms and sides from all the sweat and salt stains on my shirt. And yeah, that's not really all that dangerous. I used to think flying in an airplane was dangerous. I did go up in a small plane one time. There there was a time in the mid eighties where I had a fascination with flying and thought maybe I'd like to become a pilot until I went up in a small plane once and it was so loud and it was so windy. And everything moved, and I just had a headache, and I was nauseous, and I remember the thing landed tilted. It was tilted forty-five degrees when it landed. Yeah, that was not uh, that was not fun. I guess that that felt a little bit dangerous. But like, I don't ride motorcycles. I, I don't do anything that's inherently risky per se. So adrenaline pumping would be. Like back in the days, yeah, but when you're running hard. And, and also when you're a kid and you're like throwing eggs and you get chased. That, that that There's no feeling like being 12, 13 years old and getting chased by grown-ups after you hit their car with an egg, allegedly. I'm, ass- I'm sure all statutes of limitation have expired. The Impact 99, would Kiss or Green Day make good football players? What positions would they be? They would be horrible football players. Horrible. Especially Green Day. The Kiss guys... Maybe Gene Simmons. He'd be dirty, though. The, the stuff he would do at the bottom of the pile, I don't think you'd want to be around for any of that. At Gabe56, life, regardless of draft position, what quarterback would you draft if you were the coach, GM, Jerry Jones, I mean owner? What, Regardless of draft position, what quarterback would you draft? I, I don't know. I'm fascinated with Baker Mayfield. I'm fascinated with Lamar Jackson. You know, they say Josh Rosen has all the tools, and I... Spoke to him for 13 minutes yesterday. Different people have reacted very differently to the Josh Rosen interview. I've, I've had people with playing experience say, ah, I don't like this. He's coming off a little bit too self-centered. And others have said, oh, this guy's great. So I, I there's something about Baker Mayfield. I, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something about Baker Mayfield that seems different that seems like it's going to set him apart from the others. Terry Gensler wants to know, can we believe anything we hear from now until the end of round one? Probably not, other than, you know, the actual picks being announced. Terry Gensler is arguing against mock drafts. I I think that you're losing that one, even though I'd prefer not to have the mock draft. Brady wants to say, That he's glad I kept the PFTPM podcast going. Can't wait to get some Lego group and sheets reads. Hey, we're working on it. I like the alteration of the you're better than that shirt. The PFTPM posse shirt. I have a fedora that is way too big for my head. Whoever did this. That's not a good look. That's why I don't wear hats. This effort to make me appear to be in a hat is a big reason why I don't wear hats. Brady wants to know who's more likely to move during the draft for a quarterback, the Cardinals or the Patriots? I'd say Cardinals. I'd say Cardinals. The Real Forno, have you ever considered being an agent? No. The Real Forno, favorite draft day story. What's my favorite draft day story? My favorite draft day story is... This isn't a very good story. I hadn't really thought about this. The years that we went to the draft, there was something magical about it at Radio City Music Hall. And I know that now it's growing. Because let me tell you, Radio City Music Hall, by day three, there's nobody there. By day three, the air is out of the room. Thursday night at Radio City Music Hall, that's electric. And 2012, being backstage and interviewing Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin III, Trent Richardson, the guys as they were being picked, that was fun. That was a whirlwind. And we're, we're sitting around in the quick change room at Radio City Music Hall, where, you know, people come, you know, the quick, you make the quick change. You're, you're, you're off and you're back on. You got to make a quick change. We're in there and we're set up and the picks are being made. And, you know, you can vaguely hear what's happening out in the crowd and you're getting this stuff and the internet sucked back, the service sucked. And we really didn't know what was going on. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting for the picks to come through to be interviewed. And then all of a sudden all hell broke loose. And it's like one after another that that was an exciting and challenging night. That was six years ago. And then in 2013, we did it again, and before the draft, we had a setup on 6th Avenue, right across from Radio City Music Hall, Radio City Music Hall marquee in the background, and Tavon Austin came to the set the morning of the draft, and as he was crossing the street, I almost got hit by a cab. He very nimbly avoided it, but like I almost got him hit by a cab trying to get him to the set, so... He could be live during what used to be the noon web-only show. And then, to give you an idea of how overwhelmed these guys are when they come to the draft, I interviewed him again that night, and I could tell he had no recollection whatsoever of sitting face-to-face with me 12 hours earlier, which may say more about me than it says about how much these guys go through on the day of the draft, but you could tell, because I made a comment about something that we had talked about earlier, and he just looked at me like I was from another planet. Those years were fun, but I got no interest in going on the road and doing that at these different locations. Too many factors, too many moving parts, and too hard to do the things that I feel like I need to do to keep the various audiences fully informed. At DRS Mitch, whatever happened to Sam Francisco, hashtag posse before the posse. That's the original PFT Live posse. We used to take phone calls at the end of PFT Live, the web show, and one guy who would call every day, his name was San Francisco in San Francisco. And people thought that it was like some like a ruse, like an inside job. I, I the guy called. And it was a person that we didn't know. And he would call in and he would have this prepared speech that he would read every day. This was back in 2011, 2012 when the 49ers were good. And then something happened that alienated him on the 49ers and he just never called again. I think at one point he called back like once and then we thought he was going to start calling on a regular basis and he never called again. And I don't know what happened. Uncle Larry 112, are you still in touch with any of your old colleagues from your days working at the big law firm? what's the biggest change in that type of practice since you left to start your own shop? I I, uh, I don't know, because I'm out of that business now. Now, the, the law firm that I worked at in Pittsburgh, the major international firm that had 1,200 lawyers at the time, I don't know how many lawyers they have now. There's one guy there that I'll hear from him from time to time. We trade emails. Haven't seen him in years. The law firm that I worked at before I went out on my own, that was a law firm here in West Virginia. Those I still come across those people in the community, and I'm still friendly with most of them. And you know, but I'm glad not to be in that environment anymore. And I don't know anything about the practice of law now. I pay no attention to the nuts and bolts and the niceties and the, the way law is practiced. I, I don't know anything about it. And I'm glad to not know anything about it. Steph Boyardier are you an Apple or an Android guy? I, I mean, I, I, it's just Apple. I, I had one Android phone and I didn't really like it. And everything I have, all my computers are Apple. So I figure it's easier if you have Apple. Should we get Apple to be a PFT sponsor. They don't need sponsor. They don't need to, they, they just run their commercials on TV from time to time and everybody buys their shit and it's an Apple world. And I know that some of the Android products may be better, but I really enjoy the Apple computers, the Mac uh, book. I have one of the really thin, I think it's a MacBook pro and I've got, I've had the same desktop machine for at least five years. I wonder if there's a way to tell on here. There's got to be a way I can tell. Here it is about this Mac. Let's see what it says. Late 2013 is when it was purchased. So it's it's almost five years old. Uh, it's, the, it's a 27-inch, and it's great. And every once in a while, I think about getting a new one. And they came out with like a higher level, and, and I was interested in getting it until I realized how much it cost. And I, I don't need real computing power. Everything I do is internet-based. I, I use a word processor for notes, but everything else is internet-based. Our, you know, our, our administrative tool is all internet-based. Everything we do is internet-based. And you know, I just need high-speed internet. And that's the issue sometimes where I live, the, the reliability of the DSL that I have. And I'm trying to get a, a fiber line in here. But uh, yeah, I, so because it's Apple computers that I use, I'm partial to the, to the Apple iPhone. Let's see what else we have here. Paul PJ5, what if the team picking 32nd misses its pick? Can the team picking 33rd jump up, even though they usually normally have to wait until day two? I don't know what happens if you run out of time at pick 32. Is the team at the top of round two instantly on the clock? I may have asked that question at some point when they split, because it used to be two days. Rounds one, two, and three one day. Rounds four through seven the next day. Saturday, Sunday. When they went to the Thursday, Friday, Saturday format eight, nine years ago? I think I asked that question. I think the night just ends. And I think that basically, if you want to take extra time, you take extra time. At some point, they're going to say, sorry, you're done. It's over. But it's never been an issue. I I think the team at 32 has always honored the etiquette of getting the pick in and getting the night over. And one thing I've noticed, as the NFL has realized that this This ultimate reality show about nothing can get bigger and bigger and bigger. I've noticed that the teams go along with the show business aspect of it. Not announcing who the number one overall pick is going to be. Not signing that person to a contract. Not doing things that would complicate the broadcast. This is a TV show. And I think the teams have bought into it. I think the owners have bought into it. And they've told their football people, look, don't get cute. This is a a TV show, and everything that we are aiming at here is to enhance it. That's why they lean on the broadcast partners not to tip the picks. I haven't seen the email yet from the league office, but they tell the broadcast partners, tell your reporters not to tip the picks. And every year, that devil on my left shoulder wants to say, screw it, I do what I want. But ultimately, I want to serve the audience, and the audience does not want the tips to be picked. Or the picks to be tipped, or the tips to be picked. Either way, you don't want tips to be picked, and you don't want picks to be tipped. And I've, I've, been, and and I feel strongly about that. I've gotten into arguments with people about that. Journalists, oh, this is this is news. This is journalism. We're engaging in journalism. No, we're, we're not. We're not. So many people have access to those picks. It, I, when when I was backstage, 2012, I knew four picks in advance. I knew them. All you have to be is around and you know them. All it takes is one person to text someone. So this isn't real journalism. Real journalism is finding out the things they don't want us to know. Not finding out the things that are going to be announced to the world in a matter of minutes. Andrew Yeh wants to know, what time tomorrow do you think we'll know who the Browns are taking? with the rookie wage scales Or any incentive for the team to announce the first pick before the draft? Now, this gets into what we just talked about. No, there isn't. There isn't. And I think the Browns keep it completely quiet until it's time to walk to the podium because I think the Browns are reveling in the fact that they're getting attention. If you can't get attention for the things you do on the football field, take the attention however you can get it. I think they like it. At Steph Boyardee is upset. Disappointed about not being called an OG member of PFTPM Posse just because I never asked questions doesn't mean I never listen. I just couldn't find where the questions were located for a long time. Well, I don't know... Who else was? How do I know? I only know who's been asking questions. And I left out some people like Sergio D. Somebody asked me the question yesterday who are the original members? And I rattled off as many as I could remember. I don't have a list. And if you weren't asking questions, how am I supposed to know? I'm sorry. Black88 Elite, guess what I get to do? Go to work when I pulled a double yesterday and took off. Should I hire more people since everyone wants to call out instead of work? Yes. Tree True, what network will you watch the draft on? Also, Chris Sims pays $300 for a haircut. Please bother him about this. Is that true? Is that true? Chris Sims pays $300 for a haircut? I, I got to ask him that. I will watch the draft. Here's what I'll do. Here's a, here's the, the draft viewing strategy. I will go to the barn. I will have, see, I'm intrigued by the Fox broadcast. I will have Fox on one TV, ESPN on another, NFL Network on another, and the Penguins game on another. And the sound will be determined from time to time based upon whatever it is that's going on. So I I really want to, to see what the Fox broadcast looks like and, and how the Fox and the NFL broadcast compare and contrast. And it's a bad year for ESPN because people are going to be very interested in seeing what Fox brings to the table. And Fox is a three-letter broadcast network. They're going to have a much bigger audience. Get ready for Fox to thump its chest about the big numbers because it's going to naturally have bigger numbers because it's available on broadcast TV. Terry Gensler, what do you make of the leaked audio from the Anthem discussions? I, I'm not surprised by it. Like I said earlier today, we got to see how the sausage is made. And the reality is you got a bunch of different people operating, operating off of different sausage recipes. That part of it's intriguing. So uh, I'm bothered by the fact that somebody breached the confidentiality of this. If I was the NFL, if I was the owners who were being quoted, I'd want to know who in the hell taped this thing. Secretly taped it. Now, in New York, it's not a violation of the law. In some states, it would have been a problem. Two-party consent, you can't secretly record someone and publicize it. In New York, if you're the person doing the recording and you're part of the conversation and you're fine with it, it doesn't matter if people don't care. So, or if people, it, it doesn't matter whether they care or not, you can still publicize it. I just think from an ethics standpoint, from a trust standpoint, I've asked the NFL for comment. They haven't commented. The NFL has got to be pissed off about this. Somebody broke that trust and it could be it it was a league employee. It could be. It could could be that there are people with the league office who are pissed off at Bob McNair because he tried to say, well, when I said we can't have the inmates running the prison, I wasn't talking about the players. I was talking about the league office. There could be friction there between the league office and some of these owners. Friction between the players and the owners. And and look, I, hey, congratulations. The New York Times engaged in real journalism. They got something that they didn't want us to know. But there's a separate story there that the New York Times is glossing over about the ethics of releasing it. And I'm not saying the New York Times did anything wrong by publicizing it. But the fact that someone secretly made this recording and gave it to the New York Times, that's a story. Who did that? That's a story. All right, trying to answer as many of these questions as I can. Matthew L. Farley, if you could give one piece of advice to an agent, what would it be? Oh boy, that's one piece of advice to an agent. Don't be an agent. It's a tough business. It's a tough demanding business. And I guess the one piece of advice would be always manage your client's expectations. Minka Fitzpatrick said for him, the window is four to fifteen. It's so important to know the floor. You gotta find out the floor for your client. You gotta have your client prepared for the worst case scenario. You don't want to have your client think the window is four to ten and then the client gets picked at 13 or 4 to 20 and he gets picked at 25. You have to have your client's expectations managed. That's critical managing expectations. That's true of many businesses. Anytime you're working with people providing a service or, or anything where you have a customer, you want the expectations of the people that you ultimately are in position to please or not please to be properly set. Let's see what else we have here. Sham God, would anyone else be, let me try this again. Would anyone be at all surprised with the recent fawning over Lamar Jackson? The anonymous source offensive coordinator is House Slytherin, Josh McDaniels. Look, and I want to address this. I have a problem with anonymous sourcing for opinions. I have no problem with anonymous sourcing for facts. And we used to dabble in anonymous sourcing of opinions, part of the evolution of, of PFT and my own personal journey in learning how this works. Yeah, hey, somebody says off the record, I think this guy sucks. Hey, that's a story. Unnamed source says he sucks. There's a story. But when you deal with the draft, and there really is a benefit to getting a positive or negative Narrative out there on someone. There really is a benefit. Agendas are at play, and there is a way to try to tilt the board in your favor. The rule of thumb: if you love a player, you say bad things about him. If you hate a player, you say good things about him because you want someone in front of you to burn a pick on a guy you'd never draft. And when I saw NFL.com dabbling in something that I don't think any of us should be doing, I, I because it's inherently unreliable. You tell me an unnamed offensive coordinator took a shit all over Lamar Jackson's abilities. Without knowing who the offensive coordinator is, I have no way of assessing whether or not that's a reliable opinion. None whatsoever. But they're not going to share who gave the opinion because the person's not going to give the opinion and attach his name to it. For something like this, in this setting, where there is a strategic reason for lying, I think it's better for me personally not to be part of it. When I see the NFL voluntarily being part of the trafficking in rumors from unnamed sources, opinions from unnamed sources, not facts, but opinions from unnamed sources. I got a problem with that, especially when it's knocking a guy. And it's not an issue of balance. I saw some people were like, oh, well, but the the article in question had positive opinions too. That doesn't matter. There's an agenda for all the opinions, positive and negative. And without knowing who the source is, it's impossible to know. That's why when Sean Payton comes out and says, I don't think there's a quarterback in this draft class that is all that great, maybe Sam Darnold, that's new, newsworthy because he's attaching his name to it. There's transparency. An unnamed offensive coordinator trashing Lamar Jackson, inherently unreliable, and we shouldn't use it. We're better than that. Apparently, NFL.com isn't. Maybe on that note, we'll call this one. Try to do it again tomorrow. Although tomorrow is kind of a weird day. Maybe I'll do a little bit earlier because the draft starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. Let's see about tomorrow. For now, for now, I, I don't want to upset PFT PM Posse, but we have to figure out the best way to do this tomorrow. Maybe we'll do it a little bit earlier. We'll come up with a good plan. For now, check out PFT Live on Thursday. We'll continue to be grinding away at profootballtalk.com, and we're looking forward to getting the draft started. we got Chris Sims in studio four days this week. He'll be with us Thursday and Friday. A lot of draft talk as we get closer and closer. Tomorrow's all about preview, and Friday is all about review of what happened on Thursday night. It should be a great night in large part because nobody knows what the hell is going to happen, and I think I like it that way. See you tomorrow, maybe, but if not tomorrow, Friday